0: Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us online to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. Morning, church. Today's passage is from Romans 2.28 to 3.1. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the benefit of circumcision? It's Romans two twenty-eight. Good morning. Happy Sunday. Would you pray with me as we prepare our hearts to look at God's word today? Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that you are a personal God, that you want to have a personal relationship with us. We're grateful that you are a loving God, a caring God, a God who is interested in every aspect of our lives. From what we think is the most important to what we might think is the least important, you care. We ask you, Lord, as we come to listen to you today, that you would cleanse us from anything in our hearts and minds that would distract us or is sinful Lord, cleanse us. We ask for the Holy Spirit to be our teacher and for him to speak through me words that are clear and helpful. And Lord, we continue to pray for those close to us, as well as those around the world who are going through very difficult times. Lord, help us to be compassionate and kind to them. Help us to be generous to them and share where we can. And for those who personally are suffering right now, who are hearing this message, we pray that you would bring comfort to their hearts and help through the ministry of the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And through Jesus we pray, Amen. In January of 1998, I had a chance to travel to what I consider one of the most beautiful countries in the world, the country of South Africa. And I had a chance to drive throughout the country. I made sure I drove on the opposite side of the road, which they do, which is a little confusing. But as I drove, I noticed that part of the country looked like Hawaii and tropical, and part of the country looked like Southern California, and the beaches looked like Southern California. And then Part of South Africa looks like, well, Africa, (laughs) with wild animals and game and things like that. Well, while I was traveling, I would meet people and Christian people. I'd visit churches and things like that. And I met some people for the first time who told me that they had some friends down in Cape Town, the southern part of South Africa, that would be happy to house me. And they said their names are... Dave and Colleen, and we'll contact them and let them know you'll be coming, and they'd be happy to take in a perfect stranger in their home. So, driving from the northern part of South Africa to the southern part to Cape Town, I came to this beautiful city of Cape Town, and it reminds people of it reminds you of sort of a upscale Southern California town. And there's Table Mountain, as it's called in the back. I'm not sure why they call it that, but uh, no, <laughs> for obvious reasons. And yes, Dave and Colleen took me, a total stranger, into their house. And their house was on a canal, and it looked like Hawaii Kai. And I go, oh, my goodness, I could be in Hawaii. And then, Dave, one day I came out, and he had a flagpole, and he had hoisted up a Hawaiian flag outside his house. So you look at that picture, and you think, that's Dave, and, and you think, wow, he's in Hawaii, but that's South Africa. And they made me feel right at home. Well, I stayed with them for a number of days, and during my visit, neither Dave or Colleen ever went to work. And curious, one day I asked them, I said, what do you do for a living? And they said, oh, well, we, we golf, <laughs> we travel, and we do a little investing now and then. I found out that they came from a very wealthy family heritage, and they had inherited inherited their wealth, and they didn't have to work if they didn't want to. One day while I was visiting with them, they asked me, would you like to see our beach house? I go, you have another house? Sure. And so we got in the car, and boy, was I going to be surprised. We drove to the National Park, the Good Hope, uh, Cape of Good Hope National Park. And we got there, and there's a gate there, and there's a guard, because it's a National Park, and there's an entry fee. And the guard knew them by name, and there was no entry fee. We just went in. And as we drove to what some people think is the most southern tip of Africa, the Cape of Good Hope, which actually it's not, but it's close to it. As we drove, we came to a locked gate, and Dave had the combination of the gate. He opened the gate. We went down a gravel road, down a hill, to the beach, where we saw three beach houses... Nothing really fancy, just moderate beach houses. And we got to the beach house, and I go, whose houses are these? And Dave said, these three beach houses belong to Dave and his two siblings. They had inherited them, and they're the only houses in the national park. So let me show you a a picture of their beach house there. There it is, and Dave and Colleen at their beach house um, at the tip of... Cape of Good Hope. Well, I was stunned. I was impressed. I was confused. I was speechless. I was amazed. And finally I asked, can you give me an explanation of what's going on here? And Dave told me that at one time his family had owned the property, all the property where the National Park now existed. And his family had donated the property to the government of South Africa, so they could create this national park, the national park of the Cape of Good Hope, with the one stipulation that they could keep their three beach houses. Wow. Physical birth can certainly carry with it certain privileges. And that's how Romans chapter 3 begins. As we come to Romans 3 in our series, Truth Matters, In Romans chapter 3, it begins with the Apostle Paul stating one of the great privileges of being born a Jew. But before we jump into chapter 3, we need to look closely at the very end of chapter 2. Because as you're probably aware, as the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, he didn't put in chapter and verses. None of us do that when we write a letter. At least I don't assume you do. But the chapters were put in there in the 13th century, the chapter divisions in the 13th century A.D. And later on, about 300 years later, in the 16th century, the verse divisions were added. And that was so you and I could find the same verse easily. But when Paul wrote this, there were no chapter and verse divisions. And as helpful as they are, sometimes they break up a thought or the flow and an unsuspecting reader might think they're supposed to stop at the end of chapter 2 and wait till tomorrow or next week to read chapter 3 and they would miss a thing or two. So as not to miss a thing or two, we're going to start chapter 3 by reading the end of chapter 2 verses 28 and 29. Romans 2 verse 28. Apostle Paul writes, "For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, neither is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. In our previous sermon, which was titled, The Heart of the Matter. One of the truths that we learned from this section in chapter 2 is that your religious acts are worthless without a heart to match. Your religious acts are worthless without a heart to match. And in this particular case, the Apostle Paul is stating that just because you outwardly have done something that looks Jewish, inwardly, that doesn't make you a Jew, And by the way, if you missed that sermon or any of the previous sermons in the series, which were preached back in April (laughs) before my big event, uh, they're entitled A Dream Come True and Truth Versus Political Correctness. If you want to see those, you can go to our website, go to the section that says sermons, and click on that and you'll find all our past sermons if you want to see them. Now, Back in verse 28 of chapter 2, notice it says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, neither is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. Circumcision is a big deal to the Jews. But do you know why it's such a big deal? Circumcision is the physical outward sign of a promise a covenant that God made with the very first Jew, a man that God chose to call Abraham. And Abraham's name means father of a multitude, which was a little ironic when he got it because at that point he had no children. And God promised Abraham two things. He promised him land and he promised him seed. And that's something you should never forget because it will help you understand all of the scriptures. The land, because we're so clever, we call it the promised land (laughs) because it was promised to Abraham. It's part of the Abrahamic covenant. But God also promised to Abraham a second thing, seed. Which, by the way, in Greek, the word seed is a word sperma. And you probably can guess what English word we transliterate that word into English. It means seed. And the seed promised to Abraham was that he would have a miraculous son, a birth, through his barren wife. When Abraham was 100 and his wife was 90 and barren, they would have a son. And they thought that was so funny that they called him Laughter, which in Hebrew is Isaac. But the seed promise to Abraham, land, the promised land, and the seed, included not just a son, but the son's descendants who would be like the stars of the heavens or the grains of the sands of the sea. Meaning they would be innumerable, uncountable. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, the Apostle Paul also tells us this word seed also refers to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So to remind every Jew, starting with Abraham, the first Jew, that God always keeps His promises... God had the Jewish people put the sign of the promise of the seed on the male organ of seed planting (laughs) as a constant reminder that God will keep His covenant with the Jewish people, the Abrahamic covenant, a covenant that is still in effect, a covenant that is yet to be completely fulfilled. Oh, yeah, they have the people, but they've never occupied what is called the promised land all the way from the Nile River in the west all the way to the Euphrates River in the east. They haven't occupied it all. They haven't yet had a Messiah, a king, to rule over that land with them, who will be Jesus, as prophesied throughout the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. So the Abrahamic covenant is yet to come. And circumcision is a reminder that God keeps his promises. But as important as circumcision is, it's not what makes a person a Jew. Just ask any circumcised Gentile man. <laughs> He's not Jewish. Well, Paul uses a little wordplay in verse 29 that's easy for us Goyim, us Gentiles, to, to miss. You need to understand that the name Jew, where did it come from? Well, it comes from one of the 12 tribes, the tribe of Judah. That's where we get the name Jew. And that's the same tribe, the tribe of Judah, that Jesus came from. And Judah, that word in Hebrew means praise, praise. And so, as Paul writes in verse 29, keeping that in mind, look at 2:29. For he is a Jew. Remember, Jew means praise. Who is, um, who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, referring to the Holy Spirit, not by the letter, the letter of the law. And his praise, in other words, his Jewishness is not from men but from God. It's a play on words. True praise, true Jewishness is not what man does on the outside, it's what God does on the inside. Now, as we continue to read without a break Paul's letter, we come to, in the next sentence, chapter 3, verse 1, as we continue without a break. Chapter 3, 1, he says, Then, what advantage has a Jew? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? In other words, if automatic right standing with God, automatic salvation, isn't one of the privileges of being Jewish and following the laws and being circumcised, as the Jews of Paul's day believed and taught, then what advantage is there in being Jewish? So the Apostle Paul starts a list of advantages of being Jewish, of being born a Jew, Salvation, Automatic salvation isn't one of them. But the next verse, verse 2, he says, great in every respect. What advantage is it being born Jewish? Great in every respect. First. And here's his first point, his first thing on the list. First of all, they were entrusted with the oracles of God. Some translations say the Word of God. The words of God, the oracles of God. About 2,500 years after God created the universe and everything in it, God had a man by the name of Moses write stuff down and had Moses write down how things were created and we call that the book of Genesis which again is a Greek word the Greek word genesis the g is kind of soft g and the Greek word genesis means origin or beginnings and that's why we call it the book of Genesis and God also gave through Moses into the Jewish people His law, His rules to live by. And we often think of the Ten Commandments, and and those are included, but they actually had 613 laws or commandments to keep in the law. God gave these to the Jewish people. He gave them His oracles, His words, and that's pretty special. That's who He gave them to. Now, they've shared them with us, and we have them now, and we also have the New Testament. But when God started out giving His written word, it came to the Jews. Which brings us to our very important truth and first personal application, number one. If you're listening online, there's an outline on the PDF icon along with some study questions. If you come in the room, they're located by the door. Number one, accept your blessings, A-C-C-E-P-T, of course. Accept your blessings. It's okay to enjoy things that you don't deserve (laughs) and you didn't earn. That you got just because you were born. I don't know why I was born to a white, upper middle class Christian family. There's some real benefits. Well, I shouldn't go, oh, woe is me. I was born to a loving family of Christians who were. No, accept it, enjoy it. Blessings you inherited by physical birth are okay to be enjoyed. My friends, my new friends, Dave and Colleen, they accepted the blessings. That they had, but notice they also shared them. It's okay to be blessed and be blessed in ways you don't deserve, but I would suggest, well, the scriptures would suggest, it's not okay to selfishly hold those blessings to yourself. We are blessed that we might bless others. And let us Gentiles, as Goyim, remember that the scriptures are quite clear that God gave the gospel first to the Jewish people, and the Messiah is Jewish. And it was the Jewish people that shared the gospel with us non-Jews. That Christianity is a Middle Eastern religion and it started with the Jewish people. And they, some of them, accepted their blessings and they shared those blessings with you and me. And I am most grateful and I'm sure you are as well. Now let me ask you a series of questions and you don't need to answer out loud of course. Um, They're rhetorical but do you know why God singled out a specific group of people to bless them? Do you know why God decided to give one group of people His oracles, His words? Do you know why God decided to give one group of people the promised land in the Middle East, that prime property from the Nile River, as I said, to Euphrates River? Do you know why God chose that His own Son would be born Jewish and become the Jewish Messiah. Do you know why all of biblical history is centered around one group of people? The Jewish people, including and especially the end time events are all keyed to the Jewish people? Do you know why Jesus won't return until the Jewish nation, as a nation, repents, recognizes him as Messiah, and invites him to come back? And then he'll come back at his second coming and set up what we call the millennial kingdom, that 1,000-year reign that's described throughout the Old Testament prophets, as well as in the book of Revelation and some of the Gospels. Do you know why the Jews? Well, to get the answer to that, we've got to go to one of Moses' five books, the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, also, of course, is a Greek word, it means second law. It's the second time that they're beginning the law because the first generation died out in the wilderness wandering. And now we have another generation that needs to hear the rules and regulations and laws again before they enter the promised land. Deuteronomy chapter 9, we're going to look at verse 6. It's Moses writing to the Jewish people, and he writes this in Deuteronomy 9, 6. Know then, it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess. For you are a stubborn people. So, it's not that the Jewish people were especially righteous. In fact, they're called stubborn that God selected them for the promised land. Now look at chapter 7, moving a little bit to the left in your Bibles. Chapter 7, verse 7. Chapter 7, verse 7 of Deuteronomy. The Lord did not set His love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. No kidding. When they started out, there was one. Well, really, there was zero. And then God picked Abraham, one. They started out with one deal. And he says, you're not special because you're a a mighty nation and powerful nation and have all these people. That's not why God chose you. Verse 8, first part of it, tells us why. Deuteronomy 7, 8. But because the Lord loved you. And then he goes on to talk about some of the promises and the rest of that verse. But notice, because the Lord loved you. Why did God choose to single out the Jews? Because he chose to single out the Jews. (laughs) He chose to love them. They didn't earn it. They didn't deserve it. It wasn't based on who they were or anything. It's just God's decision to bless those people. And God's blessings in your life, often, not always, but often are not based on who you are. They might even be based... On in spite of who you are. Now, some blessings, as we've seen in a previous sermon, you get because of your character and you follow the Lord and you're blessed, absolutely. But sometimes the blessings we have seem totally unmerited and undeserved. And your response to that should be to accept those blessings and be willing to share them with other people. Now, let's go back to our text in Romans chapter 3. As we saw in Romans 3, verse 2, the Apostle Paul started a list of advantages of being Jewish. But like many of us, he got distracted. There's only one thing on the list in chapter 3, and he doesn't get back to the list till chapter 9. And I want to tell you that now, because by the time we get chapter 9, you're not even going to remember, perhaps, what we talked about in chapter 3. So skip ahead just for a moment to chapter 9, where we'll find that he he picks up the list again. Oh, yeah, the list. And he picks it up, and we'll pick it up for context in verse 3 of chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 3, Paul says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ, from the sake of my brethren. The word accursed in the Greek, by the way, is a Greek word, anathema. So when you hear something, anathema, that's that Greek word right there, accursed. He says, I'm telling the truth Christ, I'm not lying, my conscience bearing witness in the Holy Spirit, um, for I could wish that I myself were a curse separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. I don't think I could say this. Do you know what he's saying? He said if his damnation would bring salvation to the Jewish people, he'd be willing to accept that. Wow. I can't imagine that. That's how much he loves the Jewish people. And then he says, who are, and then he starts giving the list, who are Israelites, to whom belong the adoption of sons. God adopted them, another nation, and the glory. They saw the glory of God. That's the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament. Uh, Moses, the burning bush, that's the Shekinah glory. At the temple, when God's Spirit said, that's the Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory led the, the children of Israel in the wilderness wandering, the cloud during day and the fire by night. That's the Shekinah glory, as the Jews called it. That was for the Jewish people. They had the glory. They had the covenants. They have what we call the Abrahamic covenant and also the Davidic covenant. We'll get into this more later when we get to this chapter. But the Davidic covenant is a covenant made to David that his heir will rule forever in Jerusalem over the Jewish people. And that hasn't happened yet, but that will be fulfilled through Jesus Christ when he returns to set up his kingdom. That was given the Jews. And the giving of the law. They're the ones who had the oracles of God, the law. And they had the temple service. They're the ones that had the temple. Nobody else had the temple. And they have all these promises. Whose are the fathers? These are the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and on. And from whom is the Christ, the Messiah? The Messiah comes from the Jewish people. With no Jewish people, there is no Messiah. Is it any wonder the devil has been trying to exterminate the Jewish people from the very beginning? Because without the Jews, there's no Messiah. And without the Jews now, there's no return of the Messiah because his return is hinged on the Jewish nation repenting and calling him back. Whom is the Messiah, the Christ, according to the flesh, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. The Savior of the world is Jewish and will always be Jewish because he took on Jewish humanity forever. Yes, the Jewish people have been greatly blessed by God, but automatic salvation based on their physical birth is not, is not one of those privileges. Jesus told Nicodemus, that very religious Pharisee, you must be born again. It's not enough that you were born a Jew. You're not saved. You're not righteous by that. As we'll see in the book of Romans, the law was given like a mirror to reveal sin, not to remove sin. The rules never removed sin, they revealed it. Parents, listen. Raising your children in a Christian home and environment has tremendous advantages. It keeps them for the time being at least from a lot of raunchy, filthy, awful stuff that will confuse them. It gives them morals and principles and truths to guide their lives by for the rest of their lives. But being born into a Christian home doesn't make your child a Christian. What makes them a Christian is that when they personally ask Jesus Christ into their heart as their Savior to save them. And the most important duty of any parent, and I would add grandparent, is to lead their children a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Little Harry was seven years old. He woke up one morning and came out of his room and he said Mom, I have something to tell you. And she said, yes, what honey? And he said, last night at Awana, I prayed to ask Jesus Christ into my heart. Mom teared up and hugged her little voice. She was just so excited that he'd come to know Jesus as a Savior. About two days later, mom was looking for a little four-and-a-half-year-old Gabe, Harry's brother, when suddenly Gabe came bursting out of his bedroom with a big smile on his face and said to his mom, I was just talking to Jesus like Harry did. Here's a photo of little Harry and and Gabe, so you can have a picture of what they look like. They lived here over 15 years ago in Hawaii. They came to Iwana here at our church, KCC, and through that ministry they came to know Jesus. But let me show you a more recent photo of the two brothers. Here they are, both at the Naval Academy. There they are, having grown up. Harry and Gabe Fulton. Harry has since graduated from the academy, and they still love the Lord Jesus Christ. And Harry and Gabe, I know you're watching. Good job. God bless you. Keep it up. Being born into a loving Christian family certainly has its benefits, but automatic salvation isn't one of them. And that's the point the Apostle Paul is making here. Now as Paul continues writing in Romans chapter 3, he carries on sort of an imaginary dialogue with someone who who wants to excuse their sin for kind of a ridiculous reason. And I'd like to tell you the argument in my words, and then we'll read it in Romans chapter 3. It goes something like this. The person says, the more I sin the more holy God looks. And the more holy God looks, the more glory God gets. So to bring God more glory, I should sin more and more. Let's read it for ourselves in chapter 3, verses 5 to 8. Begin in verse 5 of Romans 3. But if our unrighteousness... Our sin demonstrates the righteousness of God, the holiness of God. What shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I'm speaking in human terms, Paul says. May it never be. Some translations say, God forbid. One paraphrase said, what a ghastly thought. This is one of the strongest expressions you could have in the Greek. May it never be, for otherwise how will God judge the world? And then the argument, but if through my lie the truth of God abounded to His glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? If my lying and my sin gives God glory, why am I at fault? And why not say, Paul says, as we are slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say, we don't say it, but they say we do, let us do evil that good may come. Paul's response? Their condemnation is just. Permit me to put that in the vernacular. Go to hell with such thinking. That kind of thinking leads to hell. You see, not only should you accept your blessings, but number two on your outline there and for us today, you should also admit your failures. You should admit your failures. Although outwardly South Africa is one of the most beautiful countries I have ever visited, when I visited it some 20 years ago, its heart was desperately sick. They were trying to recover from approximately 50 years of what they called apartheid, which means apart, separated. And that's where the white minority separated the black and colored, as they call it, majority. And those people lived... In such squalor and such pain. While well, the white minority benefited. Well, while traveling through South Africa and watching a nation that was trying to heal from their horrific racial prejudice and problems, I met some beautiful Christians who made no excuses for how they'd lived and how they'd treated others. And they repented. And they asked forgiveness. And I visited a church of 20,000 people. And that church was a church of mixed races. And this church would send buses to the infamous area of Soweto, where the poorest of the poor had lived the blacks and the colored. And they would bus them in to church to worship together. With white upper middle class Christians and fellowship together. Past as well as present failures and sins must be admitted so they can be confessed and so they can be forgiven. They are not to be ignored and they're not to be excused. Admit your failures. You won't be able to seek amends or forgiveness or move ahead. Until you admit your failures. Accept your blessings, admit your failures, but I might point out don't dwell in your failures. That's not helpful either. Move on. And thirdly, avoid unhealthy comparisons. Avoid unhealthy comparisons. Admit your blessings, I mean, accept your blessings, admit your failures, and thirdly, avoid unhealthy comparisons. Chapter 3, verse 9, and we'll finish with that verse today. Apostle Paul writes, What then? Are we, the Jewish people, better than they, the non-Jewish people? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. There's a lot of unhealthy comparison going on between the Jews and the non-Jews, or the Greeks, or the Gentiles, as they're called. And Paul says, We are no better than they. You see, comparison with other people normally leads to one of two things. When you compare yourself to someone else, you can lead to self-conceit when you think you're better than them, or to self-pity when you think they got it better than you. One of the things about being a preacher, and I don't think it's unique to me, and um, if it is, it is, but I don't think so, is that when you hear another preacher preach, you compare them to yourself. I'm not saying you should, but you do. And if he's a really great preacher, and you go, whoa, I could never preach like he does, and he's got a church of thousands, then there's a little self-pity. But if you hear a preacher that's not very good, and maybe he has a big church, and you go, well, I preach better than him, why don't I have that big church? There's self-conceit. And when you start comparing yourself with other people, there's a danger of self-pity and self-conceit, and both are sin. And Paul's writing to the Jewish people who consider themselves better than the pagan Gentiles because of how God had blessed the Jewish people. And just because God has blessed you doesn't mean you in yourself are better than someone else. In God's eyes, none of us is good enough to merit God's favor. It's because we have Christ and Christ alone that we get benefited. And one of the lies you and I as Christians can find ourselves believing is that we as Christians are better than non-Christians. And we're not. We are the same wretched, nasty, selfish people as they are, except we have Christ in us. And it's Christ in us that makes us better and makes us good. It's not us in us. And so Paul says, avoid unhealthy comparisons. There's a lot of angst, anger, and animosity these days, not over circumcision, but over vaccines. And I'm just wondering if there isn't a little bit of a parallel because we have vaccinated people and non-vaccinated people, and you have to show a sign whether you're vaccinated. That's the sign. Now, fortunately, it's you know, not as embarrassing to show but as circumcision, but you've know, you got to show it. And whichever camp you are in, vaccinated or unvaccinated, you probably have strong emotions about your view. I have strong emotions about my view. And I think that's okay. But when you start degrading other people because their view is different than yours, that is not okay. And that's sinful. And that is an unhealthy comparison. Let's choose not to do that. Let's choose to allow differences without thinking, like Paul says, that we are better than they. That's self-conceit, and that's a sin. So there you have it for today, three helpful truths with personal applications. Number one, accept your blessings. Number two, admit your failures. And number three, avoid unhealthy comparisons. Would you pray with me? With your head bowed, even if you're watching online, would you look at your heart and see if Jesus is there? He comes into your life, into your heart, only by invitation as little Harry and little Gabe understood. You don't have to understand much. A four and a half year old can understand, I've been bad, I need Jesus in order to be forgiven and go to heaven. If you understand that you've been bad, if you understand you don't deserve heaven, if you understand that Jesus died on the cross so you could go to heaven, and he died for you to take away your sins, and if you've never asked Jesus to come into your life and save you, I urge you, I beg you right now to do it. Right now. And say something like, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life, save me. And then share that with your children. And Lord, we do pray for our children. We pray that you would continue to use the ministries of this church, the children's ministries, to reach hundreds of children for Jesus Christ. We pray all these things through the name of your child, your son, Jesus.